again, it, is, it, it doesn't cease to amaze me. We spent all day Sunday together with each other, laughing, hanging out, getting hurt, um, winning, that kind of stuff, enjoying competition, and yet we gather together like this, and then we break for just a minute, and it's like you haven't seen each other. And I, I just I draw attention not, not to make fun of it, but just that's God's grace, and that's what I love about our church. It's just the community um, that God has built here in our church and just the love that we have for one another. Um, so we're going to look at Philippians 2 this morning, a break from 1 John, and uh, some of this is like thoughts that I've been thinking about for a while, um, personally, and sort of living in, and um, I want to share a scripture verse with you before we actually get into this passage. We're going to kind of be in some different places this morning, but primarily Philippians 2, so you can stay there, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18, the Apostle Paul said the following, he said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so I've, I've been living in that, for those three verses, for about four and a half months, as I've had the honor to be able to coach a baseball team here at King's since January 11th. We've been practicing, and our season came to an end on Friday night. But if you, I shared this with the men in a men's meeting um, recently, but if you came to a practice or you came to one of our games, specifically games, I would share those three verses with our team. And so by the end of the season, we just knew this. I'd just say, what, what are the three things we're trying to do while we're trying to win this game? And they'd say, well, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and um, give thanks in all circumstances. And the reason I kind of camp there is sports is a lot like life, baseball is just a lot of failure. You just fail a lot. Nobody's perfect when you play baseball. You, you might go four for four in one game, but a lot of times, you can go back through the records, there's, there's a lot of 0 for fours. There's a lot of people who miss the strike zone, and you win some, and we won more than we lost. And then, and then you lose as well, and sometimes losing is uh, painful. And so we try to stay camped and rejoice, always pray, without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, because that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to live life rejoicing, dependent upon Him, and giving thanks in all circumstances. And so I try to live there. And what we're going to look at this morning is kind of like the command to do those things, but it's in a negative way. It's a command to help us remember to not give ourselves to grumbling and complaining or grumbling and questioning. And so Paul kind of says it in a different way to the Philippians by telling us what, what not to do. But on the flip side of that is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances because that's what God's called us to do. He, he's, he's after our hearts and helping us to be dependent upon him and just grateful for whatever it is he gives us. The good times and even the bads. And so what I want us to think about at the beginning of this message is this question. How do you respond 
to life? How do you respond to life? How do you respond to the good times? How do you respond to those times when life is hard and it doesn't go the way you like it to go? So let's pray. We'll hop into this. Lord, I ask that you just pour out your spirit upon us. God, help us to understand your word. Help us to apply your word to our lives. I pray that your spirit would soften our hearts, that we would receive all that you have for us this morning in this section of scripture. Or that we might live our lives for you and for your glory. And whatever it is you call us to walk through. Whether it's winning at life or losing at life. Whether it's the really, really good times or the really, really hard times. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit that we might honor you in all of those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's what Paul said to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 verse We're going to look at 14 through 18, but I want to read verses 12 and 13 for context. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So how do you respond? Just think about today. How did you respond to life today? To getting your own way or to not getting your own way? To things going just as you had planned, or maybe you woke up and nothing has gone the way you planned for it to go today. I don't want you to necessarily think about the circumstance. I just want you to think about in this moment, how did you respond to those things? And then how do you typically respond to life? Here's a real extreme example. This happened in 2001. This man named Jim was a missionary to Peru, and he and his family were traveling over to Peru in a small missionary plane when all of a sudden they were shot down by the Peruvian Air Force. So they're going there to share the gospel, feel like they're called by God to take the gospel to these people, and they're on their way to do that. And they've been doing this for a number of years at this point. But, but as they were up in the air going to do what they believed God had called them to do, their little plane was mistaken by the Peruvian Air Force as being a drug courier. And so they decided that they needed to shoot this plane down. And so they shot at this plane 
And as they did this, one of the bullets went through his wife's back and into his daughter, killing both of them. Now this plane was able to land somehow, and Jim and his son were able to survive, miraculously. So think about that for a moment. If you were Jim and you lived through that situation, how do you think you would respond to that moment? Would you question God's goodness? I'm sure there would be tons of questions. I'm sure there would be a lot of lamenting, a lot of grieving. But listen to how Jim responded. So seven days after this took place, there was a memorial service in their hometown, and Jim gave his testimony and explained why the sovereignty of God and the deaths of his wife and daughter were the rock under his feet. He told them, most of all, I want to thank God. He's a sovereign God. And I'm finding that out more and more now. Some of you might ask, why thank God? Could this really be God's plan for Ronnie and Charity, that was his wife and daughter? Could this really be God's plan for myself and my son? I'd like to tell you why I believe so. And so he went on to give... 15 reasons why he believed he was able to thank God in the midst of such great suffering. And in the context, he said, Ronnie and Charity were instantly killed by the same bullet. And he asked, would you say that's a stray bullet? And he said, and it didn't reach Kevin, who was his son, who was sitting right in front of his daughter. He said, that bullet stayed in Charity. And then he went on, he said, that wasn't, that wasn't a stray bullet, that was a sovereign bullet. And so he, he chose to look at that situation, and, and the man suffered. Don't get me wrong, he wasn't standing up there with all smiles. He, he grieved the loss of his wife and his daughter, but, but just seeing the circumstances and choosing to trust in a good and gracious God in the midst of all things, not seeing it necessarily as a stray bullet, but as a sovereign bullet where his son was able to live. Standing here, I I don't know how he did it other than to say, by the grace of God. He responded by thanking God in the midst of, which seems like one of the most horrible situations a person could walk through. How do you think you would respond? Would you be able to thank God for a sovereign bullet? This morning, God is going to address our responses to life. We may not be living through what Jim lived through with his son, but we get to live life here on earth. And you all know that this place ain't perfect. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of wins. And then sometimes there's horrible losses that haunt you. But in all of them, God calls for us to look to him, to trust him. And to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that looks like something. And in the context here, what that looks like for us is to do all things without grumbling or questioning the goodness of God. So we're going to look at two points. And they're just really simple points from this text. And I hope they serve us. And the first point is this. Don't grumble. Don't grumble. Paul says it a little bit softer. He says in verse 14, do all things, 
without grumbling or questioning. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Or you could say, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Use this question here because it has a direction. The question is really directed towards the God who is reigning and ruling over all things. And the call here, or the command is to do all things without grumbling or questioning. What he's doing here in verses 14 through 18 is he's given the Philippians specific application and instruction for how we live out our lives, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And he zeroes in on our responses to all of life in this moment. And one of the things that we need to notice, and this isn't just in this section of scripture, but it's also in the one that I read in the beginning from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18, is is we have to notice that this command to do all things without grumbling and questioning, it's it's all-inclusive. It includes all of life. He doesn't leave anything where we can kind of take it and sort of set it outside the box of life where we're free to do with it whatever it is we want to do with it. He says all things. There's not a single moment of our day or any day in our life that's excluded from this command. All things. It means all things. This includes the good things and the seemingly bad things. It includes those times when life is just moving along as we planned it to go. And it includes those times when we might find ourselves experiencing a sovereign bullet. Paul doesn't leave us room to separate out anything from our life. Where we can just kind of go over here and vent and, and grumble and complain and question the goodness of God, and deal with it in a way that doesn't honor and glorify God. And he doesn't do this, or he calls for us to live this way, because he knows that God is always at work in our lives. He's always at work in our lives for our good. He knows that the God who's reigning and ruling over all things is a good and gracious God who loves his people. He knows this because God is love, and he knows this because God is love, and he sent his son Jesus out of this love to die on a cross for our sins, to take care of our greatest need. Reminded of that this morning as we sang about it and as we took communion together. In verse 12, he says this, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, And then he kind of gives us this reason, and he helps us understand that as we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that there's some real motivation behind it. There's some real encouragement for us to live by and to just just be rooted and grounded in. And he goes on in verse 13, he says, "For, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's good news, isn't it? See, we're called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And if you're anything like me, I hope and I pray that that's easy and comfortable. A lot of times I want to work out my salvation with fear and trembling by just having a little quiet time in the morning. I'm I'm being dead serious. Like for the longest time, that's how I thought it should have worked. And that's how I wanted it to work is I wanted to just have a devotional in the morning, read about 
rejoicing, read about praying, read about giving thanks, and to do that in my quiet time, and then to be radically transformed by it so that I live it out. But then I soon learned that a lot of the times the way the Lord likes to work that out in my life is to live life and experience it. Having to walk through things, having to fail at different times. But, but the good news here is as we do that, as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, the good news here is that, that God's the one who's really at work. He's the one that Paul says, no, he, he's at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so this call to not grumble and to question is really sort of rooted and grounded in, in the sense of who do you believe God to be? What do you think he's really doing? What is he up to in your life? And what we learn from Scripture is that he's, he's at work. He's at work doing his will, accomplishing his good purposes. We may not always see them as good purposes, but, but if he's a good God who does the right thing at the right time always for his glory and for our good, then, then this is true. The hard part is aligning our hearts at times and our minds to really believe and trust in that. Paul, writing to the Romans, said it like this. He says, and we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So I have to fight this. I'm going to assume you're a lot like me. I have to talk to myself a ton when life doesn't go the way I want it to. When a baseball season doesn't end the way that I think it should. Spend a lot of time reminding myself of this. And it just starts like this. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you love God? Would you say right now that you love God? So thank you, Josiah. So I'm going to assume most of you love God because you're here today. Sometimes that's a fight, but at the end of the day, you're going to say, yeah, I love God. And so, so if that is true, then, then the rest of this is true. If you say you love God, and if indeed you do love God, then what you need to know that all of life, all of life is being worked out in your life by God who loves you. Who crushed his son to save you. He's at work right now in every single detail. And he says, for your good. It's all being worked together for your good. We don't always know the details of that. How's this working for that? But the point here and what we need to understand is that all things means all things. It just does. All things means all things because God is at work in us all the time working all things together for our good and for his glory. And because of this, because we know God is at work in all things all the time for our good, there's this command here to do all things without grumbling. 
without questioning God's goodness. Easier said than done, right? Yeah, I mean, we have illustrations of this. We have the Israelites in the desert. God raised up Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. They were They had spent years as slaves, and he led them to the Red Sea. He miraculously parted it. He allowed for them to cross over on dry ground, and then he closed it up. And he killed all the Egyptians who were pursuing them to kill them. It wasn't a small thing. If you were there, it's it's not one of those things where, where you would just forget the fact that you were being pursued by a massive army And you came to this dead end, which you thought, and the Lord just, he split it open. And he crossed you over safely. And then as soon as you got to the other side, he closed it back up. And everybody who was pursuing you to kill you, he destroyed. You would think that would be enough, right? Just to remember, we have a good God. He's at work. He's accomplishing something. He called us out. He made a way for us to get out. He brought us to the other side. He protected us from this. But guess what the Israelites did in the desert? They forgot. They forgot God's goodness. They forgot in some ways who God was. They they got so consumed by what they could see. They got so consumed with self in the sense of, how is this affecting me? And so they began to grumble and complain. We're hungry. All you're going to give us every single day is this miraculous food that just sort of shows up in front of us. Kind of would like some variety here. Tired of eating this thing over and over and over and over and, and over and over again, just miraculously showing up. Oh, and I'm thirsty. We, we had food back there. We had water back there. And so they grumbled and complained. Just, just read, read Exodus and you'll see it. They gave in to grumbling and complaining because they, they stopped looking at God. They stopped trusting in Him and His goodness. And they lost sight of the fact that He's the one at work. He actually knows what He's doing. And He's taking them to a better place. And so when they got consumed with self, they wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go back to building things. They wanted to go back to the place and time where they had to give up their kids. The place that they grumbled and complained about being in. So in some ways, it's silly to share that, but we're just like them, aren't we? We're so grateful when God gives us good things that we like, that are easy and comfortable. But, but when a little bit of discomfort comes, when life doesn't go our way, we, we start to grumble and question the goodness of God. And by grumbling, I was just looking this up, and, I, and I, I've been camped in this since my kids were born. Like, grumbling sounds a lot like this. Have you ever done that? Like, you know enough not to say, this stinks. But just listen to yourself sometimes. If you were around me, like, Friday night, you'd hear, you hear some other things come out of my mouth as well. But, But it's just, it's a grumble. It's a complaint. It's a questioning of God's goodness. And the call here and the command here is, is stop thinking so much about yourself. Trust that there really is a good God who's at work in all things and he's accomplishing his good purposes in all of them. 
You don't always know what it is. The illustration I shared with the men when we were talking about a version of this is Davis Wyndham hit a baseball and it hit me in the eye. He's on our baseball team, and I like to bring it up because it makes him feel bad a little bit, and he should. It was close. It was like from here to that white line away, as fast and off as bad as possible. And I, the way I tell Phil and anybody that asks me about it is I, I trust in the sovereign God. Like, I don't know why. He wanted me to have a scar on my face. He wanted my pupil to be at this diameter the rest of my life, I guess. He wanted me to wear glasses when it's really bright outside. He wanted me not to be able to see sometimes when it gets really dark. I, I don't know why, but God is in control and he's up to something. And the other thing I said is he also wanted me to take a few days off because I really couldn't do anything as I was recovering. But it, it's a fight. And I share that with you because I have to fight it. And I want to encourage us as a church, we have to fight for joy. It's a fight. It, it's a constant reminder when things don't go the way we want them to, that we are not the ones in control. We're not. You are never in control. And the sooner you realize it, I'm going to say, the better your life will be. Because the one who is in control is God. And he is at work in all things. And he controls all things. He works all of these things out for our good. And that's where the fight for me is. That's where I want to encourage us to fight. You will not always know what that good is. We do know that he's at work sanctifying us. He's preparing us to spend eternity in heaven. And so all that's taking place is to get us there so that we might enjoy eternity with Jesus forever. And so all of this, and you just read the rest of Romans 8 verse 29, and you'll see it. There's a purpose and a plan behind this. It's preparing us for this. So in some ways, that, that baseball to the eye somehow sanctifies me in some way where, Lord willing, I grow a little bit more like Christ. And I'd say whatever it is you're walking through, it's the same thing. The Lord is sanctifying you. The Lord is preparing you to spend eternity with Christ and all the saints. And all of the moments we experience in life, they're all doing that. And I share that in a way because what, what, it, what it does is it, it, should, it should change our hearts in some way where, where we begin to thank the Lord in all circumstances. We don't thank him for the circumstances all the time. We thank him in all circumstances. Because a lot of circumstances are just evil. Evil. But it doesn't mean God's not at work in it. Because what the Bible says, no, he's at work in all things. For the good of those who love him. And so the command for us is this, do not grumble and question the goodness of God. So how do you respond when things don't go your way? Are you fighting for joy? Are you choosing, by the grace of God, to trust in a good and gracious God? What does that look like? This leads us to point two. Again, simple. Be glad and rejoice. 
be glad and rejoice. Paul's a great example for us to avoid grumbling and questioning the goodness of God as, as we work out our salvation. What I mean by that is he wrote this letter to the Philippians from jail. In chains with the possibility of losing his life. It really is an interesting letter to read. I know we've gone through it in the past, but there's a moment earlier where he's just sharing about people who are really his enemies. They're seeking to make his life miserable, and he's in prison, and he's unable to get out there in the world and and do certain work, and these people are trying to make his life miserable. What they were doing is they're like, we're going to preach his gospel to the people around him. And then people are like, are you going to let them preach your gospel, the good news about Jesus to, to people? And these weren't even really believers who were doing this. And Paul's response is like, what does it matter? As long as the gospel's preached. Because it's the gospel that's the power of God to save. And that's just, that's just an illustration into the heart of the apostle who's writing this letter. He, he was a man that knew how to rejoice. He was a man that, that could find joy sitting in a prison cell with chains about to lose his life. And he's not complaining. He says this, verse 17, he says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, he said, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So he's just saying, even if I have to die for your good, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Why? Why would Paul be happy in prison? Why should the Philippians be glad and rejoice in their sufferings and sacrificial service? Why would Jim Bowers thank God for that sovereign bullet that killed his wife? And baby girl. Why should we be glad and rejoice when life doesn't go the way we want it to? Why? I'd say because Paul's eyes are on Jesus Christ and not himself. He's not looking at life through the lens of Paul. He's looking at life through the lens of the good news about Jesus Christ. He's primarily concerned with Christ and seeing the gospel advance in the hearts of the Philippians and the world around him. Gladly willing to lay down his life in any way that a sovereign God would have him lay it down to see others come to know Christ, to see others come to experience this grace and grow in their faith. See, Paul didn't live his life for himself. He didn't run and labor in vain. He lived his life picking up a cross, denying himself, and following Christ by the grace of God. William Taylor in his commentary wrote the following. He said, the way to avoid dissatisfaction is to not to grumble about suffering for the gospel. But to remember that all our life lived out in selfless service is only a response of gratitude to God for all that he has done. And he's done a lot. He's done a lot. He's created all of this. Everything. 
He's the creator of it all. And then he created us in his image after his likeness. And then when we sinned, he pursued us in our sin. He came after us. He took the initiative. This was all part of his perfect plan to send his only son, Jesus, into this world to die for us so that our sins would be forgiven, that we might be declared righteous, that we wouldn't experience his wrath, but instead receive his mercy. And he's given us eternal life. He's done that. So that we might be his beloved children. See, God did all of that and he continues to be at work in our lives. He's at work in your life right now. Wherever you find yourself, wherever your feet are, whatever situation you're in, God is at work in that. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't say, okay, you got this on your own. Now you're good over there. No, he's always at work. And for that, Paul would say, be glad. Be glad and rejoice in the grace of God. Be glad and rejoice that you have a good and gracious God who loves you. Who doesn't give up on you. Who turns those terrible situations somehow into something for your good as he's working something out in us that we will ultimately, I think, recognize and enjoy fully when we stand face to face with Jesus. See, there's hope in this. And there's also the call to not grumble and do not question the goodness of God. So in closing, let me just say this. Let us enjoy God. Let us enjoy together what he has given us. And let us remind one another. I think this is one of the hardest things. Let us remind one another often that God is at work. Let us get really good at encouraging one another. That we have a good and gracious God who is always at work for the good of those who love him. I know I need to hear this. We all need to hear this. And it's true. So may we rejoice always. May we always be dependent upon the Lord. May we give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, the temptation to grumble is real. And so Lord, would you fill our hearts with greater faith. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to be passionate, happy people who recognize that you're at work in all things. The wins, the losses, the promotions. Lord, the passing the exams, getting into colleges, the getting denied. Lord, anything in life, everything in life. You're just at work and help us to Find joy in the midst of those things and just trust that that you're at work in them for our good and that, Lord, we would repent of grumbling and questioning. And, Lord, as we leave here today, would you bless the moms? Would you bless the families? Would you watch over them, protect them? Would you give them great joy today? That you might receive glory in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. May the Lord bless you. Enjoy your Mother's Day, moms. We love you. Have a great day. Thanks.